0: Hello and welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Rees, and on each episode, I investigate a different, weird, and wonderful subject. And on this special festive episode, I am going to uphold a long-standing Christmas tradition, the best of Christmas traditions And that is the telling of creepy ghost stories. Yes, in the tradition of Charles Dickens and M.R. James, we are going to look at some creepy ghost stories best listened to by an open roaring fire. But there are two big differences between the stories I am going to tell you. And the writings of the likes of Dickens and James. The first one being that all of the tales I tell you take place in Wales. And secondly, and most importantly, all of these stories were reported as being true. These are not works of fiction, but if you choose to believe them, they are indeed real-life Christmas ghost stories. And if we dive straight in to our first tale, this one concerns an old couple called Sean and Sean, which are two names which will put a smile on the faces of any Welsh language speakers of a certain age. It is the name of a popular Welsh television show, but long before the television was even invented, there was an old couple called Sean and Sean. although sadly, these are not their real names. Their real names were changed to disguise their identity, although this tale was recorded in the early 1900s and took place some 35 years previously. So the accounts of this creepy ghost story took place in the late 1800s so i don't think sean and sean are going to mind me talking about it now but sadly i don't know their real names so for the sake of our tale they are sean and sean and they lived in the village of anis vach near astrad myrig in keratigion where sean was home alone because Sean worked as a quarryman somewhere in the north of Wales, we are told. So she spent a lot of time alone and really looked forward to seeing him at the holidays, like at Christmas, when he came home. But sadly, Sean wasn't quite as keen on seeing Sean as we will find out. Now, to quote, on one occasion, when Sean explained Expected her husband home the day before christmas as usual sean came not so christmas eve sean is running late and nine o'clock in the evening she went out to meet him or to search for him and to prevent him spending his money on beer at a public house which his friend a saddler kept at teen Grig. So, right from the start, our impression of Sean isn't that good. He is the kind of man who, having not seen his wife for, what, months on end, would still rather take a detour to the pub, quite a lengthy detour, blow his money with his friends, rather than rushing home on Christmas Eve, leaving his wife to walk around in the bleak Welsh midwinter looking for him. But... Before we jump to any conclusions in this particular account, let us return to the tale. And his wife has arrived at the public house looking for Sean, and he is not there, nor, we are told, was he seen anywhere. So the old woman had to return home in disappointment. It was a cloudless, moonlight night, almost as light as day, but The road was lonely and the hour late. And when she had walked some distance to great terror, she noticed a ghost in the field making his way nearer and nearer to her till at last the strange object came to the hedge on the roadside quite close to her. So things have escalated quite quickly here. Her husband hasn't arrived home on Christmas Eve. She assumes he's out drinking. She braves the Welsh winter weather to find him. Can't find him. And instead, she finds this this strange creature, what she believes is a ghost, walking towards her across the field at night. And frightened as she was, she struck the ghost with a strong walking stick which she held in her hand saying and this word is blanked out in the original text but we do know that it starts with a d so i am assuming she shouted devil maybe diavol, the welsh for devil but she shouts out devil thou shalt follow me no longer and let that be a lesson to anyone thinking of messing with these old welsh women they will smack you with their stick and when sean struck the ghost her walking stick went right through the head of the strange object. So she wasn't messing around. She wasn't giving it a quick tap on the arm or the leg. She whacked it in the head. The stick went straight through the ghost's head, but she did not feel that it touched anything. It was, we are told, like striking a fog, but the spirit vanished into nothing Allowing Sean to walk on. So, while Ashan felt as if she hadn't hit anything physical, anything substantial, anything solid, her walking stick had cut through that fog. As she described it, it did the trick because this strange creature did indeed disappear, did vanish into thin air as a result. And we are told that the ghost was now invisible, but. The old woman, in inverted commas, felt that it still followed her. Though she could not see it, but when she was crossing a brook, she became aware that her pursuer had left her. So this ghost, this pursuer, this strange creature, followed her until she crossed a brook. Now, as mentioned, this tale was recorded in the early 1900s, And they recorded purely what they considered to be the facts. They didn't try and work out what was going on. There was no hypothesis, no theory. But I would suggest that the idea that the ghost followed her until she crossed the brook might suggest that water played a part in deterring the spirit Maybe this ghost, as is the case with other supernatural creatures in other cultures, some vampires say can't cross the water. Maybe this ghost also could not follow her any further. But if we stick purely to the facts, all we can say for certain is that on that fateful Christmas Eve, Sean's husband had disappeared and all she could find was, was a strange apparition that followed her home. And I mentioned M.R. James right at the top of this episode. And I think this story, which was indeed recorded at about the same time that James was publishing his creepy stories, does sound like the kind of tale he would have told his friends and students by candlelight in King's College back in the day but as mentioned while James conjured up these tales to give us all a good scare at this time of year this tale was not invented by anyone it simply happened as with our next tale which is another long lost real life ghost story which was recorded slightly later, but yet again around the Edwardian period. This must have been a great time for Christmas ghost stories. And this story is what the author or the person recording the account refers to as a warning Type of ghost story a warning type of ghost story which again sounds very mr jamesy doesn't it but to quote their introduction and description of these warning types of ghost story they say it is extraordinary how very many stories of occult occurrences belong to what we may call the warning type Yet, among them, we find few in which the message conveyed by ghostly voice or visitant has been of use in averting miss fortune so what we are being told right at the start is even though there are many ghosts in these tales who pop up to give us warnings be they death omens which warn us of some impending misfortune these warnings are nevertheless more often than not stating the inevitable for example if you see a phantom funeral then a real funeral will certainly follow If you see some corpse candles, if you see two corpse candles, then two people will lose their lives nearby. These warnings can't help you do anything to avert the disaster. They just give you a little advance warning and you could argue, well, what is the point having some supernatural warning of something you can't do anything about anyway They might as well just let it happen and then you haven't got to spend days worrying about it beforehand. But whatever the reason, our next ghost story, a family ghost story, is very much a warning type of ghost story. Which takes place in Mayfield, which we are told is a very old house in West Wales dating to the year 1600s. Now, as with Sean and Sean in the last tale, the identities of those involved have been hidden because it was sensitive at the time. And as such, the name Mayfield may or may not be true. There are several places called Mayfield in Wales. But we do know this building was standing since at least the year 1600. I am assuming I would like to think it is still standing today, hopefully in the hands of the same family and maybe if you're familiar with the historical homes of west wales after listening to this tale if you are a budding sherlock holmes maybe you can pinpoint exactly where this took place but wherever it took place in west wales let us take a look at the ghost story itself and we are told that to begin at the beginning among the family portraits there one is shown the picture of a young lady in the dress of the 18th century. This was a Mrs. Jones. And there is a note here telling us that no, Jones isn't the real family name. It's been replaced much like every other name on this episode. And if you are going to replace the name of somebody in Wales, Jones is a pretty good one because it is probably the most popular name in the entire country. But anyway, this Mrs. Jones dressed up in the dress of the 18th century was an ancestress of the present owner of the house. So whoever owned it in the early 1900s, this was their ancestor. And if the house is still standing, possibly, hopefully the ancestor of the current owner. And tradition says that a wicked butler murdered this poor lady in a large cupboard so large this cupboard was almost like a little room which opens out of the dining room so in the dining room there was a set of doors that when you opened them they revealed a small room behind maybe this is an indication of how wealthy they were their cupboards were like small rooms and it was in this very cupboard this very small room that the butler murdered that poor lady after which he made a sharp exit he fled with the family plate but finding it too heavy to carry he dropped part of his plunder in a ditch near the house where it was subsequently found though history is silent as regards the fate of the butler so it sounds like if this butler was indeed guilty of murder, he did indeed get away with the crime. He escaped, but he didn't escape with all of his plunder. He dropped some of it, left some of it behind in a ditch, which was recovered. And we are told that ever since then, ever since that date, the ghost of the murdered lady walks out of that cupboard every Christmas Evening, the anniversary of the tragedy. This really is a Christmas ghost story. It happened on Christmas, it reoccurs on Christmas. She walks out into the dining room every Christmas evening, but never appearing until the ladies have left the dinner table. At least, so runs the tale. So, this ghost, by the sounds of it, will only appear to the men maybe this is when the men are sitting around drinking their brandy and smoking their cigars as they would have done at the time the ladies have gone away and after they've left up pops the ghost but now for the sequel of this tale and i do love the way the narrator wraps up the first half there she teases us doesn't she because what she means is now for the sequel and now things are going To get spooky. Because it's been established. Mrs Jones was murdered on Christmas evening. Her ghost appears on the same date every year. And we are told that early in the last century. This was recorded in the early 1900s. So early in the 1800s. Mayfield and the property were owned by a certain Jones. Again not real name. But a certain Jones who had a brother living in India. whether mr jones was a bachelor or widower at the time of the following occurrence one does not know but at all events he lived at mayfield by himself so this historical house which sounds like some kind of grand mansion maybe wherever it might be was home to one person presumably he had his staff his servants his butler But he lived alone and he used the dining room as a sitting room of an evening and after his dinner would turn his chair around to the fire and sit there reading till it was bedtime so he's a man of routine he sits there reading by the fire and one night he had sat up later than usual and as he shut up his book and bethought him of bed The clock struck midnight. Yes, it's Christmas, so I had to get a rubbish special effect in somewhere. Just please ignore the birds tweeting away during it and just pretend there were 12 bongs, not four. But anyway, back to it. The clock struck midnight and in the corner of the room behind his chair was the cupboard already referred to. And we can probably all see what is coming next well except for mr jones of course because what happened next is as the last stroke of 12 died away mr jones heard the click of the door opening he turned his head the cupboard was behind him and there walking out of the cupboard towards him he saw the figure of a woman dressed in an old fashioned costume so if this is indeed a ghost as we are being led to believe who just walks through doors as you might expect them to do she opens the door and she advanced a few paces stopped and said in loud clear tones your brother is dead in loud clear tones your brother is dead and then she turned and walked back into the cupboard the door of which shut with a loud clang So there's nothing particularly cryptic about this message. It's not a subtle one. It's not one that needs deciphering. It's very much sharp, straight to the point. Your brother is dead. Either this ghostly warning is correct or it is not correct. There is no scope for ifs and buts and maybes. And as soon as Mr Jones recovered from his astonishment... He made a thorough search of the cupboard and the entire room, but could find no trace of any inmate. It was just him, and convinced at length that a message from the other world had been brought to him, he made a careful note of the date and the hour of the incident a very good thing to do in modern day ghost investigations but he made a careful note of the date and the hour and with this information decided to check in on his brother who was in india now this was much more difficult much more time consuming to do back then he couldn't give him a quick ring he couldn't even drop him a quick dm on social media he had to do it the old-fashioned way he had to write a letter which took weeks to arrive in india and took weeks for his reply to arrive back in west wales but arrive it did but when it arrived it had not been written by his brother but by somebody informing him that yes his brother had died and the time of death coincided exactly with the night and the hour in which he was warned by the apparition at mayfield and an interesting part of this case for me is that if we assume that it is indeed true now of course it could be a load of rubbish but if we take their word for it and assume that yes okay this is a true story if this ghost appears once a year every year What message are they passing on? Surely they wouldn't just repeat the same message again and again. So are they telling the new occupants of a different death every Christmas? I don't know. But maybe, maybe if the budding Sherlock Holmes out there can indeed track down this house. Maybe we can go there one Christmas and find out for ourselves. And on that spine chilling note... I think it's a good point to wrap up our latest episode dedicated to the festive season. And if you have enjoyed this episode, there is still a lot more Christmas ghosts and folklore coming up before the new year, maybe including a return visit from the Mary Lloyd. And if you don't want to miss any of those or any of the other future episodes, then please consider hitting the subscribe button and you will never miss an episode ever also if you want even more ghosts and folklore you can follow me on social media i'm on twitter i'm on facebook and i'm on instagram and if you'd like to support the podcast you can now treat me to a coffee via my website which is very much appreciated you can leave a nice review give it a quick thumbs up or five stars or whatever the option is on whatever platform you are consuming this on and finally as well as a podcast I've also written a number of weird and wonderful books on similar subjects, including the most recent Paranormal Wales, all of which are available from good bookshops, offline and on. And on that note, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. Dioch and Varian Amorando. I've been Mark Rees. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast Beaming to you from Wales to the world. Until next time, have a very Merry Christmas, Nadole Clawen, and Nostar.